You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Matthew chapter 21, we'll begin reading in verse number 9. The Bible says, In the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Verse number 10, And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God, and cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves, and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. Amen. And let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity we have to, to study the scriptures. And I pray that you would speak to us and help us. Uh, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you'd work in our hearts. I uh, have done my best to study and prepare, but I uh, can only do so much. And certainly this is a spiritual work. And this is a, a work that must be done from heaven. And I pray that uh, from heaven, uh, Father, that you would speak and work in our hearts and lives that we may be changed by the power uh, that is found in the Word of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Matthew 21 is a, a passage of Scripture that uh, has to do with the, the final days of Jesus uh, on the earth. You see, just... Really, a few days before this, Jesus had healed or raised Lazarus from the dead. If you'll turn with me, hold your place in Matthew 21. And uh, turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 12. It says in verse number 1 of John 12, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, he came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Verse number 9, it says, Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. Verse 10, But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. <laughs> Poor Lazarus, he's been raised from the dead, and now they're trying to kill him, you know. Poor guy, what did I do, you know? What, what, what's my crime? Verse 11, Because... That by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Now, we're going to pick up verse 12 here in a moment. But you see, what, what, what happens is near the end of Jesus' ministry and near the end of his life, uh, of course, Jesus has, he has fed the 5,000. He has uh, healed the, the blind and he has uh, turned the water into wine. And he's done some amazing miracles. But when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead there started to be a buzz. 
there started to be some excitement. There started to be something going on that the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees and the, the chief priests, they couldn't calm it down. They couldn't just kind of brush that aside. And so this is all building. And people are coming to see Jesus and people want to see Lazarus. And, you know, you can imagine the crowd saying, now, now which one was Lazarus? That guy? He doesn't even look dead. Well, duh, of course not. He's, he's alive. You know, Jesus raised him. And, and so there's starting to be that excitement. So the Jews are angry. The Jews are losing control of uh, this Jesus. Things are getting out of hand. He's, he's messing up their lifestyle. Uh, he's messing up the way that they've got things going. And it says in verse 12, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, verse 13, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. This is John 12 is the parallel passage to Matthew 21. This is the triumphal entry of Jesus as he comes into the city at the time of the Passover and just a few days before he is crucified. I want you to notice quickly in this passage, Matthew 21, and I've, I've preached from this several times before. I've never preached this message, but I want to give it to you and I want you to see uh, what is contained in this scripture. Number one, I see the coming of Christ. Verse number five, it says, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Now Jesus, he came the first time. And I'm glad he came the first time. Had he not come the first time, we wouldn't be here to talk about the second time. I'm glad he came the first time. He came to be born in a manger. He came to die on a cross. He came to be the lamb. He came to be the sacrifice. He came to become the payment for our sins. And this is the first coming. He's coming, verse 5, and it says that he comes meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. We see that Jesus enters Jerusalem triumphantly, but he enters Jerusalem humbly. That's what it says in verse number five. He, he comes and he's meek. Jesus is coming, not riding on a horse like kings would come riding off to war. Or kings would return from war, but he comes riding on a donkey. You know, a donkey in Bible times, and even to this day, a donkey is seen more of a, of a, of a bearer of burdens. That's what you do. You'd put your, 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 your sack, or you'd put, put your load, or you'd put your things on a donkey, and that donkey would, would carry those things. It's not like you're going to be riding. If you're going to be riding something, you're going to be riding a big old horse, right? You're going to be riding something big, something, you know, that, uh, that's going to get you somewhere. But Jesus comes Riding on a donkey, I think it's interesting because his entrance into Jerusalem was a humble entrance. He comes riding on a donkey. This was an animal that was used to carry burdens, not an animal to ride into battle. In Bible times, the king would have his people carry his burden. But aren't you glad our king came to carry our burdens? Boy, that's a role reversal. In Bible times and, and throughout history, a king would have his people give their lives to protect him. But our king came and he gave his life to save our life. 
The kings would, would, would have the people accumulate the wealth for themselves, but Jesus Christ came and he gave up all of his wealth so that you and I could be rich through Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing the way that our king came? Jesus came riding on the donkey. This was not a sign of aggression. Kings would enter a city and they would have war horses. They would have chariots. They would have soldiers. They would have weapons. They would have uh, swords and shields and, and banners. And they would come in with a big parade. But yet Jesus didn't come in that manner. Jesus came riding into Jerusalem with fishermen, common people. And they weren't waving swords and banners. They were, they were waving palm branches. They were taking their coats and they were putting their coats on the ground as a path and they were putting their coats on the donkey so that Jesus had something to sit on. He didn't even have a saddle. That amazing how Jesus came. He came humbly. But the next time Jesus comes, I want to remind you, it's going to be a much different scenario. When Jesus comes in Revelation 19, the Bible says he's not riding on a donkey. He's riding on a white horse. And he's coming back with his army and he's coming back to rule and to reign and he's coming back to conquer. He came the first time as a lamb to be slain, but he's coming back the second time as a lion to conquer. I'm glad that Jesus came and the Bible tells us that he came into the city and the prophecy was fulfilled. Thy king cometh unto thee. I'm glad Jesus came. But secondly, I want you to see not only his coming, but I want you to see the people crying. It says in verse number nine, the multitudes that went before and that followed, they cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Notice verse number 15. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple. Now, that's not a reference to the first church nursery in the Bible, okay? This word crying is not, wow, wow. This is not that kind of crying. This is not somebody complaining. Uh, when, I was, when I was growing up, I used to give my little brother a hard time. I'm four years older than he is, and he was a lot smaller then. And uh, I had no problem beating him up, you know, it's just the way it was. And, and, and how, many of you, how many of you have a younger sibling that they used to ask for it? I mean, literally, they would push you to a point where you felt, you felt coerced, really. I mean, you felt like you had to beat them up just to, you know, just to pacify them, right? Okay, yeah, well, something like that. Well, here's what I would tell my brother after I beat him up. And I'm not condoning beating your brother up, and please don't do that. It wasn't good. I had to ask the Lord to forgive me and all that. But, but after that, I would say, now, Joel, don't you go crying to mom and dad, right? And isn't it amazing? That's what he would always do. And if a younger sibling goes crying to mom and dad, please tell me, who is the one that gets in trouble every time? It's the older one. You're exactly right. You know, you've been there. Some of you younger siblings, you ought to come and you ought to confess your sin right now for getting your older sibling in trouble all those years. And you don't even feel bad about it. You think it's funny even to this day. But that's not the kind of crying we're talking about. We're not talking about a whining or a complaining or even a cry of sadness. 
This word cry is the word that means to speak loudly. It is the idea to cry aloud, to speak with a loud voice. If you are speaking loudly, it's because something is important. It's because something is serious or something is urgent. And these people, they are crying. They are lifting their voices and they're saying these words, Hosanna, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hold your place in Matthew 21. And I want you to turn back with me, please, to Psalm 118. In Psalm 118, we find this word, Hosanna, and what it means. In, uh, uh, in Psalms, this was a Psalm of Hosanna. Psalm 118. Verse number 25, the Bible says, save now. And that's what Hosanna means. It means save us. It's a cry of deliverance. It's a cry of saying, hey, our king is coming. He's coming to save us. He's coming to deliver us. And that's exactly what the Jews thought Jesus was going to do. They thought he was going to deliver them. They thought he was going to rescue them from the, 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 the tyranny of Rome. And, and they're, they're crying out, our king is here. He's come. Hosanna, save us. Notice verse number uh, 25. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee and send now prosperity. Verse 26. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. And that's exactly what they are shouting in Matthew, 21, uh, Matthew 21. Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So we see their crying, number two. First of all, I see their method. Their method is to cry aloud. But secondly, I see their message. Their message is a message of adoration. Their message is a message of worship. This, this word, Hosanna, it, it, is a, it is the idea of adoring and magnifying and worshiping Jesus as he comes riding into Jerusalem. We see that they were crying. I wonder when was the last time that you lifted your voice to be heard? When was the last time that I lifted my voice to be heard? Sometimes we only... Lift our voice to be heard when it's something about us. Something we want, something we need, something that's bothering us. But when was the last time you lifted your voice and said, I just got to tell somebody how good God is. I just got to tell somebody how great the Lord has been to me. And they are, they're crying out, they're praising, Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Number three, I see in this passage, I see the questioning. It says in verse number 10, and when he was coming to Jerusalem... All the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Now keep in mind the scenario. This is the time of the Passover, and Jesus Christ is entering the city, and, and people are already, they're excited. They're already talking. Hey, this is Jesus. This is the guy that raised Lazarus from the dead. Hey, you got to come see this guy. Hey, come over here. we got to show you. And so the, the city, the Bible says, they are moved. That word moved, it means to be shaken. Have you ever been so excited about something that literally you're shaking about it? Boy, I tell you, we've got, we've got some children who they get so excited about something, they can't even sit still sometimes. And by the way, that's true of some adults too, right? You just get excited about something. Uh, maybe it's because you have had too much coffee, you know, or maybe it's because you haven't had enough coffee, but you know. But anyway, they're, they're, the whole city is shaken. They're moved. They're excited. They want to know what's going on. And they ask this question. Who 
is this. Wouldn't it be great if people in Roanoke Rapids started asking that question? Who is that that y'all are talking about every time we're around you? Who is that you go to worship every Sunday? Who is that you go back to worship on Wednesday night? Who is that that you're always talking to before you eat your meal? Who is that that you're always talking about all the good things? Who is that? Wouldn't it be great if people would see something in us that was different and they'd say, we need to know what the reason is. Who is it? Can I tell you who it is? It's Jesus. It's not a pastor. It's not a church member. It's not a Sunday school teacher. It's not a musician. It's not a CEO. It's not a sports celebrity. It's not a government official. What this world needs is they need to know who Jesus is. And let's be very quick to point them to Jesus. Let's be very quick to answer the question when they say, who is this? Verse number 10. Notice the answer in verse 11. And the multitude said, this is who? This is Jesus. The questioning of the people, they wanted to know, who is this? Who is this person that you're worshiping? Who is this person that you're waving the palm branches for? Who are you crying Hosanna to? And they said, this is Jesus. In 2004, excuse me, there was a man that entered the Olympic Games in Athens. He entered in a sport that I'm ashamed to say I did not even know was a sport in the Olympics, but many of you I'm sure will know. It was underwater basket weaving. No, 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 it wasn't that. <laughs> Just want to make sure you're listening. He entered the Olympics in sharpshooting with a rifle. How many of you knew that was a, a sport in the Olympic Games, sharpshooting with a rifle? Okay, many of you did, okay, good. So you're my witnesses, I'm not making this up. And you can look it up too. But in 2004, this man, his name was Matthew Emmons. Matthew Emmons entered the Olympic Games, of course, you know, to qualify and all of that. And he was an excellent shooter. But he won a gold medal in sharpshooting. It's an amazing story. Someone sabotaged his rifle. They say that it looks like someone had taken a screwdriver and destroyed his rifle so that it could not shoot properly. So to tell you how good this guy was, you know what he did? He went to a buddy. He said, hey, let me borrow your rifle. He took his buddy's rifle. He went out and he shot the targets and he won a gold medal in that event with a borrowed rifle. Now, again, I've told you, I didn't even know it was an Olympic sport. But I'm just guessing it sure would be nice if you had your own rifle, at least, you know, if you're going to shoot at a target. And he didn't bother him none. He just got another rifle and it won the gold. The next event he went and he was on track to win another gold medal in sharpshooting with this rifle. He was on track and he had a final shot to do and literally all he had to do was get an average score. He had already pretty much sealed it. And so he took aim and he fired and he hit the target, hit the bullseye. But rather than receiving a gold medal for hitting the bullseye, he was lowered from first, I believe, all the way down to eighth place in that event. And he didn't win the gold, didn't win the silver, didn't win the bronze, and it didn't even place in that event. You say, how is that possible? How can you hit the bullseye? And how can you not get the gold medal? Well, the problem was that he shot and he hit the wrong target. They call, I guess they call it cross-shooting. I, I, again, I don't even know it was a sport, so I don't know what all this is. But he raised his rifle, he got his sights, but he was aiming at the wrong target. 
And because of that, he did not get the score that he would have gotten had it been his own target. He was, he was docked and his score went down. He didn't get the medal in that particular event. But here's the thing I'm saying is it wasn't that this guy was not a good sharpshooter. He was incredible. But he shot and hit the wrong target. And sometimes I think as Christians, I think we're guilty of that. I think sometimes we're shooting at the wrong target. Sometimes we're shooting so that people will say, good job. But friend, that's the wrong target. Sometimes we're shooting at the target so that people will advance us or people will promote us or, or we will be better in someone's eyes when in reality that's not the target we're shooting at. We should be shooting at the target of pleasing God and we should shoot at the target so that God will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The people were praising God and they were praising God in such a way that people didn't ask, who are you? They said, who is he? And may we as a church, may we be faithful to live our lives so that people will say, who is that God that you serve? Who is that Jesus that you're talking about? Who is the one that governs your life? We were created for the purpose of praising and glorifying God. The Bible says because of their praise, all the city was moved. The Bible says in the book of Acts that when they had prayed, the place was shaken. You know how you get a city shaken? You get a church shaken first. You know how a church get, gets shaken? A church gets shaken when some people start praying. A church gets shaken and moved when God's people fall on their faces and pray and God hears and God answers and the power of God falls and the Holy Spirit of God is at work. That's when a city gets moved. When God's people pray and God's people praise and people just can't help but ask what in the world is going on. We see number one, the coming. Number two, the crying. Number three, I see the questioning. Now keep in mind, as Jesus is coming into the city, it's the time of the Passover. I thank the Lord for that song that Landon sang. He sang in the early service as well. And the song says, thank you, Jesus, for the blood that's applied. Did you know it's not enough that Jesus died for you and shed his blood? You've got to accept it. You've got to receive it. It's not enough to know Jesus died on a cross, but you must be willing to call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. You see, the Passover is this. The Passover began when the children of Israel were in Egypt, right? You remember that? There was the, the death of the, past, uh, of the firstborn that was going to take place. And God told the people, he said, there needs to be a lamb needs to be killed. And the blood of that lamb needs to be taken and it needs to be spread over the doorposts of the house. And God says this, he says, and when I see the blood, I will what? I will pass over that house. And when God sees the blood of Jesus, that is when he passes over. That is when we do not get the judgment we deserve, but instead we get the mercy and the grace of God because the blood of Jesus was shed. This is no mistake. This is no accident that Jesus died at the time of the Passover because the Jews knew very well that was the time that the lamb had to be slain and the blood had to be offered so that the atonement could be made. We see the coming, the crying, number three, the questioning, number four. I want you to see quickly the cleansing. 
verses 12 and 13, Jesus enters the city and the people are crying, Hosanna. But it says in verse number 12 that Jesus went not to sign autographs, not for photo ops, not for PR, but it says in verse 12 that Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. I see number four, I see the cleansing. Jesus' ministry in John chapter 2, we see, he began by going to the temple and doing almost exactly the same thing that Matthew 21 says he did at the end of his ministry. He went in and he cleansed the temple. Now, let's be honest. If Jesus came to Roanoke Rapids today, you know what most of us would think? Jesus, you need to go up to Washington, D.C., they got problems up there. Or, you know, if you can't make that trip, Jesus, you need to go down to Raleigh. You need to straighten out that bunch down there. Or, Jesus, we need to send you out to Hollywood. Boy, they're wicked people out there. Or we need to send you to, you fill in the blank. But that's not where Jesus went. You know he, where he went to do the cleansing? He went to the temple. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4 that judgment must begin in the house of God. It's not everybody else that needs cleansing. It's us that need cleansing. It's not everybody else that's a bunch of wicked sinners out, out there. It's us that are a bunch of wicked sinners. You say, are you, are you serious, Pastor? At a church and everybody comes to church, everybody smiles, and everybody's nice and all that? Oh, yeah. You know what that's called? That's called the outside. That's what man sees. But there's another you and there's another me. It's called the inside and that's what God sees. And David, the psalmist of Israel, the man after God's own heart, he wrote and he said, God, I want you to search me and try me and, and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm just saying this, God wants to do a cleansing work, but he wants to do it in his church. He wants to do it in his people. First Corinthians says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, which is in you, which ye have of God and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There must be a cleansing of the temple. The temple should have been a house of prayer, but instead it had become a place where the people were dishonest. The people were, were, were selling the sacrifices, the, the lambs and the doves uh, for, for increased rates, and they were, they were trying for self-gain. They were, they were trying to uh, profit themselves. They were taking uh, the money from the people in order for them to pay the temple tax. They were having unreasonable uh, exchange rates, and they were all about what can we get out of it. Friend, I want to tell you, that's not why we come to church. That's not why there is a church. It's not for what we can get out of it, but it's what we can do for the Lord, and it's what we can do for somebody else, and it's how can we glorify Him in His church. There was a cleansing. Jesus cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. He overthrew tables. Now, I'm just telling you, this really messes up a lot of people's view of Jesus. Everybody thinks that Jesus is just all about love. And by the way, I'm glad he is love. 
That love was demonstrated on a cross when he died and he shed his blood. But I want to tell you, Jesus is also, he is the holy son of God. And he didn't walk into that temple and let everything go. Jesus walked into that temple and he cleaned house. I, I, the Bible doesn't say that he had to bust heads, but I imagine he probably did. I imagine some people probably got hurt. I know this. I know some things got damaged. I know some things got messed up. But Jesus Christ came to cleanse his temple. There had to be a cleansing. Then lastly, and I'm done, but I see number five. It's found in verse number 14. And I'll be honest with you. I've read this passage many times. I've preached from this passage several times. But I have never seen verse 14. Now, is verse 14 in your Bible where it says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple? Is that verse in your Bible? But it's in mine. I've got a King James Bible and it's in mine. I just, I hadn't seen it before. I know it's been there. How many of you think it's always been there? All right. Anybody else suspicious like me and saying, where'd that verse come from? Here's why. Because it's almost like it doesn't fit. Let's, let me say it like this. If you were in the middle of busting heads, if you were in the middle of knocking people out, if you were in the middle of kicking people out and you were in the middle of cleaning the temple from all the junk and all the garbage and all the wickedness that was going on, would you take time for a blind person that was over in the corner? I don't think I would. I think I would say, I'm sorry, but healing hours start tomorrow morning. I think I'd say, if you can come back tomorrow, maybe we can talk about this, this blindness and we can, we, can, we can look at that. But Jesus is in the midst of all of this, all the commotion and all of the emotion. And do you think those money changers were happy? Oh, you better know they weren't happy. They were getting their business shut down. And Jesus is in the middle of all that and... There's some lame people that can't walk. There's some blind people that can't see. And the Bible says they came to him in the temple. Now, friend, I don't know how they got there. I don't know if somebody walked them there. The blind people, they said, follow me. Let's go to the temple. There's a lot going on. <laughs> you can't see it, but let me tell you, it's really amazing. Whoa, whoa, he knocked that guy out. Whoa, that guy, man, look at that. I don't know how they got there. The lame people, I don't know if they got carried there. I don't know if they crawled there. I don't know if they were already there. But the Bible says there were blind people and there were lame people and they came to Jesus in the temple. Is that what the verse says? Somebody look at it. Is that what verse 14 says? There were blind people, right? You see that? There were lame people. Is that what it says? Yep. And they came to Jesus in the temple, right? That's what it says. And then it says this. And he healed them. In the midst of everything that was going on, did you know that Jesus cared about the needs of those people? Have you ever been guilty of being so busy that you couldn't help with something that maybe seemed little or seemed like it should wait for another time? Have you, have you ever been like that? Amen. I have. But here's the amazing thing about our God. He's not too busy to help you with your need. And he's not too busy to help me with my need. 
I'm sure those lame people and those blind people thought, oh my, there's a lot going on in the temple today, but this is not going to be a day that we're going to get healed. And then Jesus walks over and says, hey, let me help you. Let me touch you. I don't know what it's like to be lame. I've never been lame. But can you imagine for someone who has been lame their whole life and never walked? Can you imagine what that would mean for that person? That Jesus would come and he would touch them or speak to them or do whatever he wants, pat them on the back and they're healed. That may not seem like a lot to you, but for somebody that's never walked, it would be the best thing that ever happened to them. Can you imagine being blind? Now, if I take off my glasses, I feel like I'm blind. If I take off my glasses, I have to squint to see the clock. Now, you can all look. There is a clock up there. Some of you didn't know there was one up there because I don't always follow it. But I have to squint to see the clock. So if you ever see me up here preaching without my glasses, you better, you better buckle down. It's going to be a while because I have no idea what's going on. But I can't imagine what it's like to be blind, totally blind, and then to be healed. But for those people, Jesus came. And he met their need in the middle of everything else that's going on. Sometimes we think, you know what? There's, there's problems going on right now. There's wars going on. There's turmoil. Uh, there's, there, there, there's famines. There's flooding. There's droughts. There's earthquakes. Uh, there's tornadoes. There's all this stuff going on in the world. And Jesus doesn't know what I'm going through. Oh, yes, he does. If he notices every time a sparrow falls to the ground, he knows what his children are going through. And he not only knows, but he cares. He is the great physician. He is the God who says we can cast all of our cares upon him. He is the God that promised that he would send a comforter. Number five, I see in the midst of all of this, there is the comforting. And friend, I want to tell you, whatever you're going through today, I may not know about it. The person beside you may not know about it. But Jesus knows all about your struggle. And Jesus knows. And he cares. And he can touch you. And he can help you today. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.